Hello, and welcome to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Resnick. This episode is brought to you in part by Independent Pharmacy Alliance. IPA is a trade association buying group representing 3,700 independent pharmacies leveraging buying power to help pharmacies access pharmaceuticals at the best prices. IPA serves 3,700 independent community pharmacies across the United States and offers comprehensive third-party help desk, legislative advocacy, and continuing education free of charge to members. Learn more today at ipagroup.org. In this episode, this is our second episode of Real Politics for Pharmacy Owners, and it is my pleasure to welcome Lori Clark. Ms. Clark serves as Legislative Counsel at Garden State Pharmacy Owners. She has been president of Legiserve, an independent firm specializing in government affairs, counsel, and strategic advisement for 25 years. Lori and I have worked together over the last seven years representing Independent Pharmacy New Jersey. And as a special note, I want everyone to know that Ms. Clark was recently recognized for her lobbying work. She was included on Senate Majority Leader Loretta Weinberg's Women's Power List for 2021. For a lot of people who may not be aware of Trenton politics, Senate Majority Leader Weinberg, she is a legend in Trenton. And recognizing Lori on this list is a huge honor for a government affairs specialist in New Jersey. So I want to congratulate Lori on this honor. And before we get started today, Lori, can you speak a bit about your professional background, how you began providing government affairs services for independent pharmacy? Sure, Anthony. But first, I want to thank you for that very kind recognition. And it's been a pleasure to work with you. And it's a pleasure to be here. So anyway, it was one of those stories, those little stories that it happened that Garden State Pharmacy Owners was looking for a legislative council and they needed somebody right away. And I coincidentally happened to be available and went to interview for the job with Steve Brandt. And that started this whole foray into independent pharmacy. For those that know Steve Brandt, he had consummate knowledge of the profession and he educated me. He really took a lot of time and we spent time on a daily basis and it grew into something tremendous. And as you know, I now also represent the New Jersey Pharmacists Association. And a lot of people don't know about NJPHA, but NJPHA carries the banner for the profession. So it's been my honor and privilege to represent both of those groups. And I know I'll be continuing it in the new year. And once again, so that's how it started, Anthony. I've been doing government affairs work for a long time. And I can say for the last seven years, I work with Lori. I've learned a lot from Lori. She is an incredible person and she's probably the most knowledgeable person on pharmacy issues, definitely in New Jersey and maybe in around the country. But Lori, we have some good news we want to share. So Governor Murphy, he signed a new law which requires PBMs working in New Jersey's Medicaid program to disclose information on spread pricing to the state. Can you tell us a little bit about the new law and how it will help our efforts in covering out PBMs from the state Medicaid program? Sure. Well, once again, you know, we have had this very difficult task. And a lot of times people, first of all, they don't even understand what a PBM is, but it's a gargantuan industry. And we are basically very small compared to them. So for years, we've been trying to tell our state Medicaid program that they are essentially not doing as well as they could be under their current contracting situation. And mostly because it was always very one-sided with the managed care companies. And so it's hard for them to see exactly where the money is going, the way that the New Jersey contract is structured. 
So um, this particular law will allow the Medicaid department, which is called the Division of Medical Assistance and Health Services, to actually get this, this raw data that they need to really see what they are really paying. And Anthony, you and I both know that when they see that, finally, that is going to be kind of a rude awakening. So I think at that point, we're going to be back to pharmacies need to be paid fairly for the service, and it's going to expose a lot of glaring errors. I think that you also feel the same way, correct? Absolutely, Lori. I mean, we've seen all around the country in states like Ohio and others where they actually did a deep dive into their state Medicaid programs. They found that there was just a ton of money, hundreds of millions of dollars that PBMs were taking in as profit and not returning back to those state Medicaid programs to either reduce costs for taxpayers or reduce the cost of the drugs. And I think a key thing that you just said is that once we have that raw data in New Jersey, it's going to be a rude awakening in terms of you know what they're going to find as far as how much spread pricing or AKA profiteering these PBMs have done in our state Medicaid program. So the law just went into effect. It stated at the bottom of the law when this information had to be provided by PBMs and they, it said it, the law goes into effect immediately. What's your feeling? What do you think is going to be the actual timeline for the state to actually have these type of numbers? Well, I mean, once again, it's extremely encouraging that we were able to get effective immediately. And those that have not worked on these things don't understand that because it's always, oh, it'll be three months, six months, a year before they have to do it. So this is going to give us a big jump on getting the information. And um, because the budget is coming up, so now right at this particular point in time, all of the agencies are coming up with their proposed budget, which will then be incorporated into the governor's budget. It's really the exact perfect time for them to be able to request this information. And so as we know, Anthony, in politics, as in anything else, timing is everything. I think the only thing here is that from what we know about spread pricing, the spread pricing now takes place in a different way, more or less through the BER and GER and the recoupments, whereas initially it was just blatantly obvious it was a spread. But it has to be looked at a little more closely. So we're, you know, we're going to have to maintain a dialogue with Medicaid to ensure that they're able to interpret the information correctly. And we're going to be working on that moving forward. So I think we're moving in a very positive direction for once on that. Absolutely. And once we have the data, do you feel that the legislators, once they see the actual numbers, they're going to be ready to start having a serious conversation about a possible carve-out or a form of a carve-out in the state of New Jersey? Yes, most certainly. And I know you'll agree with me because we've seen such a change, you know, and it's taken three or four years, but now the legislators are not going to take too kindly to some of this. They're not going to be saying, you're making this amount of profit. Why aren't you paying pharmacies fairly? Why aren't you ensuring that patients can get access to the medications they need, which is really the key issue. It sounds like it's, it's pharmacy bias, but it's really not because if the pharmacy can't provide the medication, the patient very often does without, especially today when we're seeing the chain drugstores, whoever thought the chain drugstores would be closing up. Absolutely. So the independent 
is now going to become an even more vital part of the healthcare infrastructure of New Jersey. Absolutely. Just some interesting information for the listeners in terms of real politics. This particular bill that was signed, I remember we were working on this almost three or four years ago. So it took a lot of work and effort to turn this bill into a law. And the wheels of government are slower than a lot of people realize. And I was wondering maybe if you could give us some information on how the process worked. You know, the bill was introduced about three or four years ago, but there's an educational process for the legislators as well. So if you could walk us through how this bill actually made its way through the legislature. Well, as you say, Anthony, that is often hardest for the public and for clients to understand the length of the process. But in reality, each legislative session is two years. So if you get something accomplished in under two sessions, that's a huge win. And it's really hard to make things go faster. In this particular case, we not only had the PBM issues, but then we also had the FQHCs who seem to be very concerned. And you know what? When that data comes out, we're going to have to see what is the reason why they were so concerned? Is it because they too are unfairly reaping benefits? Now, I don't know that, Anthony, because we haven't seen the data. But usually when someone is so concerned because you and I said we didn't want to harm the safety net pharmacies and we would be okay with just not letting them provide the information, but they were adamant that a bill of this nature would not be good. So if we're going to exclude someone, so we're fighting insurance companies, PBMs, FQHCs, and basically, I think we actually won the argument. It was just that we couldn't prove that the FQHCs would not be harmed. Right. But now when we get the data, I think we will be able to prove these things. And um, it's going to be interesting. You're absolutely right, Lori. That's exactly what occurred, I believe, in New York and California. There were issues where 340Bs were worried. And as a result, the carve-outs were stalled in those states as well. And like you said, I believe that the data will be the proof in pudding on this one. And just to switch gears a little bit, also to let everyone know, there's a new bill that's been moving through the legislature. It has to do with prescription drug pricing. And this particular bill includes a portion where there would be a real study of PBM practices in commercial plans, state plans, and the Medicaid program. And could you tell us a little bit about the bill and its current status in the legislature? Sure. I mean, I think you and I were both of the same mind in that we were very concerned initially that the Prescription Drug Affordability Board would only look at retail prices. And that is necessitated by the way the laws are set up. So they really can't look at anything but that. And that just goes to show how ill-informed the general public is about how the increases come about. Anyway, so we were very concerned about that. So we proposed a set of amendments. And at the present time, the bill is out of committee in both houses. It went to the budget committee in each house, and it's now ready for a floor vote in each one of the houses. But you and I were able to get a set of amendments to the bill that is very specific about PBM transparency and also about 
how these things come about at the pharmacy level. So the amendments, you know, we were very happy with the amendments and we think now with the amendments, it could actually be a good thing. However, this is such a huge, huge undertaking that even if it passes in the beginning of the session, I mean, at the end of the session, the beginning of January, even if it passes both houses and is signed by the governor, the way it's set up, it could take at least a year or more just to get the board set up, the study set up, and there will be a pharmacist on that board. So that's good news because they couldn't make it that inclusive so that, you know, we could have more than one, but there is at least one. So I'm not completely sure if this will pass. How do you feel, Anthony? You know, like you, Lori, I'm not sure if it will completely pass, but what's really encouraging is that we're definitely seeing the legislators respond more and more positively when we're talking about prescription drug pricing to include PBMs within these bills to find out what the central role the PBMs are playing within the drug supply chain. So I think from the hard work that you've been doing over the years in educating the legislators, we're definitely seeing a more willingness from the legislature to say, you know what, it's not just as simple as, well, it's just the manufacturers. We have to take a look at the complexity and the complexity of drug supply chain. I think the incredible work that you've been doing in educating the legislators on how pharmacy benefit managers play a central role in the drug supply chain, it has encouraged the legislators to actually put more specific language in these drug price bills on what PBMs are doing and where these profits are going. Well, thank you, Anthony. And uh, yeah, right back at you. But like you say, this is an area that is very, very foreign to people. I agree with you that it is very unfair to just say it's pharma. And in fact, there may have been things years ago that happened that we could point fingers at them. However, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think the PBM greed grew to such a level. And you can just see that with the stock market profits. It's there in black and white. And um, once again, the average person doesn't understand that these gargantuan companies do not consider the actual retail cost of drugs when they come up with their plan pricing. And uh, what is Lori saying? That can't possibly be true. We found out the hard way. And um, that's where we're starting from now. We're really starting armed with all new facts to take on this really big issue coming into the new year. One of the things that you hit upon that you just stated, it really strikes home with me is that these are Fortune 500 companies or Fortune 10 companies when we're talking about Optum, Caremark, and Express Scripts. And I remember, here's us, the two of us, we're in Trenton, and we're taking on these monumentally powerful companies. And like you said, I think sometimes it's hard for people who aren't involved to grasp the size of the task, the actual immense size of the task that sometimes is asked of government affairs folks when taking on these huge entities. But you definitely feel it when you're there and when you're testifying against them or on a particular issue that's opposite them. Yes. And um, I can tell you from, you know, being in, and, you know, you've been in Trenton a long time too, but I went to Trenton like you straight out of college and there is no 
other issue like this in Trenton. I mean, we have insurance issues and those are big too, but there is nothing like this. And like I say, I think the, the worst part is sometimes the members don't realize we have this monumental task and we have very little resources and we have a bunch of people that just don't quite get what we have to do. But we're very lucky that we have a loyal following with our groups and we've been able to do a lot. And I think we're going to do a lot more in the coming session, especially with issues like audit, et cetera. And when, when the legislators see these numbers, it's going to be eye opening. Absolutely. And like you said, Lori, you know, I believe that we have done a lot and we will be doing a lot going into the future. But one of the things that I want to talk about, too, was over the last year or so, we've gotten some positive news from members that utilize New Jersey's PBM appeals law. And the law requires that PBMs, they either have to approve an appeal for a reimbursement or provide the pharmacy the specific wholesaler where they can obtain the product at the PBM's price or below it. So really what the law does, it puts the onus on the PBM to tell the appealing pharmacy, where can you purchase this drug at your price or below your price? And if you don't have a wholesaler where they can purchase it, you have to approve the appeal. Uh, The law was recognized by the National Association of Insurance Commissioners as a model law as to how to regulate PBMs. That was a big win in terms of New Jersey's efforts to reform PBMs. So it received national recognition. And could you provide us an update on the work that's being done with the Department of Banking Insurance currently? Because one of the things that we're working very hard on is trying to get the state to fully enforce the current statute? Yes, absolutely. So just a couple of things. First, on on the first part of your question, yes, there's been definite movement. And, you know, sometimes pharmacies are not willing to invest the time to appeal some of these things because the record of rectifying this has been dismal, but that has been changing over the past year. So more and more appeals are being approved. And I just heard that on the New Jersey State Health Benefits Plan, which is not even a plan that's covered by our law, that a good handful of medications that were below cost were increased to an acceptable level. So that's Optum. So once again, I I would encourage pharmacies to try to appeal some of this stuff. This is going to change before their very eyes. And as far as the department is going, And once again, you know, this is practical politics for the membership, for pharmacy owners that are listening, that um, the department essentially asked us, show us where the PBM is violating this law. And now you would think that would be a very simple thing to do. And you would think that, oh, okay, I'll get back to you in two weeks. I'll get back to you in three weeks. But we have to assemble certain information that can be presented in the proper legal format. And that is not as easy as it sounds, but that is happening. And so we expect to have a lot more to report on what Dobie is doing. But once again, let's just go through the little facts. When we got the MAC law passed, they did a bulletin and they said that everyone has to abide by this. In order to be in New Jersey, fill out this form, which was a certification form, and now abide by the MAC law. So everyone had to agree. Now these PBMs, and this is just my opinion, they think they're complying with the MAC law, but they're really not because we have found under the different categories established in the law that they're not. So the main point here is once this all kicks in, 
it's going to really not be a, an optimal situation if you're a PBM because there have been delays in enforcement and regulation due to the pandemic. The pandemic came in right when our second law went into effect. But I mean, I find it very encouraging that the department is steadfast and willing to regulate this. And once they really start looking in detail at the PBMs, I think they're going to be amazed to see what is happening there. And that's going to help the pharmacies. So very encouraging stuff lately. Absolutely. I mean, it's been very encouraging to see pharmacy owners that have utilized the law to see some of them winning their appeals. It's also very encouraging to see the Department of Banking Insurance making attempts to regulate the law. And like you said, Lori, I believe, you know, there's going to be really good things coming down in the future in terms of regulation of this law. Once they see these numbers come through in terms of how much spread pricing might be occurring, not just within the state Medicaid program, but in, you know, in other plans as well. One of the things I think also, you know, for pharmacy owners who are listening, what they may not realize is that when you have a regulating body like the New Jersey Department of Banking and Insurance, after a law passes, it takes time for that body to pass regulations, get their hands around the new statute, and actually put together a, a regulatory format to be able to enforce the statute. So first you have the political portion where you're passing the law through the legislature, and then you have what comes next, because the work isn't over when the bill is signed to law, you have the regulatory framework with the department. Maybe could you give us some insight on that in terms of how the regulatory process works? Well, the regulatory process can be very daunting, especially when I mean, the legislative process is, is lengthy. But in terms of, of regulation, I mean, your best case scenario, this is if something was really urgent and they had to use special regs, would be six months to one year. But on average, it's two years or more because you have a public comment period. Then you have to have people to analyze the comments and then come up with the regulation. Years ago, when I was involved with a major law that we have on the books called H-Kappa, from the time that we had that signed into law, it took five years for regulations to come into play. And we recently, I mean, more recently, three years ago, the out-of-network law, which got a lot of publicity, that is still operating under a bulletin. And H-Kappa operated under a bulletin also. So once again, bulletins are very good because it's got the force of law. So it's, an, it's more like an interim regulation. But, the, you know, the point is it's very substantial. And when we tell people all these things at one time, they don't even want They say, oh, it's going to take too long for this to happen. But you know how it goes. By the time you think about it, now we're four years into it. And now we're finally starting to see results. Absolutely. And just to switch gears a little bit here, I want to talk to you about what's going on in Congress, specifically our partners, the National Community Pharmacy Association. They did a major congressional initiative last week to include DERFI reform in Build Back Better. And we saw independent pharmacies all around the country contact their U.S. senators, urging them to include DER reform in President Biden's proposal before the holiday break. Could you give us your opinion on why it's important for every pharmacy owner to join this initiative, why it's important for them to pick up that phone and call their U.S. senator and explain to them how their fees impact not just their pharmacy, but their patients? 
Yeah, I mean, DIR reform has really been the top issue, and that's a federal issue, and we are the state lobbyists. And so we, our role in that is mainly to assist with the grassroots. You know, and a lot of times uh, members will say to me, oh, why do I have to call? They don't think the call does anything, but you have to start somewhere. And when Congress, either the, the House or the Senate, looks at these issues, they look and see what does the public say about this? So now if they see only a handful of pharmacies responded, okay, so we have like 800 and some odd independent pharmacies. And if you only had 10 or 20 call, I guess eventually, Anthony, NCPA will tell us how many called from New Jersey. But I did notice that we were not on the top list of states in the very beginning, but they have to see that they have to do a tally. So if you take a minute, and this can be pretty easy to do, you just take a minute, call, NCPA gives you a script, and you don't have to speak to the senator. So don't get deterred by that. Let staff take the message. And in these days of computers, they're going to tally that and make notes on every single thing. And um, once again, I mean, if we could make a little headway with that issue, that would also go a long way because It's not the bills that Congress passes. It's usually the regulations. But in this instance, we definitely need some help in in changing the statute. And Lori, if a pharmacy owner is interested in getting a copy of that script, could they go to NCPA's website, ncpa.org and other places where they can locate the script? Yes, absolutely. And I know that, you know, you had it on your social media. We had it for GSPO. It's on Mm -hmm. all because NCPA did a fabulous job getting it out to all of the states. So I'm sure. anxious to hear what people heard from their uh, Senate offices, et cetera. And i um, anxious to see what actually happens at the end. Absolutely. And, you know, I saw NCPA even today on Twitter, they're still asking members to call. And if you are having a difficulty in finding the script or you need help, contact GSPO, contact IPA, contact NCPA, and someone will be available to assist you and help guide you through the process. Lori, it's been my pleasure again to speak to you. I look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. This has been very enjoyable. And I want to wish um, you and everyone at IPA a very, very happy holiday season. Please stay well and safe. And I look forward to more good news in the new year. To learn more about Garden State Pharmacy Owners, go to gspo.org. And for more information on the legislative process, go to the New Jersey State Legislative website at njleg.state.nj.us. And more information can be found at the New Jersey League of Women Voters website at lwnj.org. Thanks for listening to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. This podcast was made possible by the Independent Pharmacy Alliance and the president and CEO, John Gianpolo. It was produced and edited by Zach Stone with music by Marcus Way. For previous and future episodes, check out ipagroup.org. Thank you very much. Bye for now.